Hey, John, what was with the uh, reference to my aftershave? I mean, you got a problem with Old Spice? I, I don't have a problem with Old Spice, but it, it, it gags me when I'm trying to talk to uh, someone like Robin here. Well, I, I was really surprised because it was sort of uh, an intimate re reference to how I smell, and that's really not really appropriate. I apologize. Yeah, thank, you. thank you for that. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. On the line with us today is Robin Bradley. Robin is an author of an article uh, that is certainly making some waves in the American Motorcycle Magazine. Welcome, Robin. How you doing? Hey, John. I'm great. Thanks for the call. Hello, Robin. It's Mark here. Mark, how you doing? Thank you. So, Robin, give us a quick, uh, you know, quick just overview on your bio here. Uh, you wrote an exceptional article that that uh, you know caught our attention. Fill us in. Well, you know, who, who's Robin? <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a, a publisher. Pure and simple. I've been man and boy um, some 40 years um, career now. Um, initially, like most people, um, on the corporate ladder. And um, then when I um, felt ready, I um, branched out. And um, I got lucky. I, I, I fell into the motorcycle industry um, quite by accident. Um, I do ride. I have ridden. I, I, I have had bikes. Although my last one got sold about four years ago. Um, and like anybody, I fooled around on, on motorcycles when I was a teenager. But um, um, really, once I rediscovered the market, um, stayed in it for now for some 30-plus years simply because I like the people so much. And the subject matter, if you're going to be a writer, isn't too shabby either. So, Robin, tell us the, the, you know what triggered this article that you wrote on the More Road Strategy, Harley-Davidson's More Road Strategy. What what? What was the trigger and, and uh, um, you know, first of all, where can people find this article if they want to read it themselves? Well, it's in um, the August edition of um, AMD magazine, which can be found online. We, we publish a monthly print trade journal and um, a digital edition appears um, online uh, simultaneously. And that's at um, www.amdmag.com. AMD stands for American Motorcycle Dealer, but amdmag.com. You'll find the latest issue at any given time there, um, as well as uh, five or six years' worth of, um, of back issues. Well, I guess the start point for this goes right back to um, the start point when I first came into the market, not knowing too much at that stage about Harley's history, but beginning to find that... Um, there was much, much more to the company and um, to its heritage and to its products than simply a balance sheet. Um, it's hard to think of um, any other uh, customer group that's happy to go through life with um, a vendor's um, um, brand logo tattooed on their on their shoulders, for example. And um, the passion that everybody has for the product is what really hooked me. And down the years, I've reported extensively on Harley, um, on their strategies, on the, um, their fortunes as a, uh, both as a business um, and as a manufacturer. Um, but I also have a, a, a one foot firmly in uh, what you would term the metric motorcycle market, especially outside the United States. I have an additional um, 
motorcycle industry magazine called International Dealer News, which is kind of like an, whereas AMD is all about the Harley market, um, International Dealer News is much more of a, um, a mainstream industry equivalent and, and mostly focused on the European and Japanese motorcycle manufacturers. So I guess I've got a slightly more uh, broader-based perspective and certainly a more international-based perspective in which to be able to um, think about um, what Harley is um, um, doing at any given time. And the jumping-off point for my remarks about the More Roads strategy document basically was, hello, welcome to the party and about time too. Um, the um, problems that Harley have been storing up for themselves are entirely based, I believe, on actually not being brave enough to stray outside of um, their existing um, brand footprint. Very, very important to be able to bring their core customer base and their heritage with them. But the market that we know and understand today as being Harley's core market of the past few decades, there was a time when that itself was a radical new departure. Right. People, people talk about cruisers being the quintessential American motorcycle. Well, only once you had a freeway network. Back in the day, the reason why Hill Creek was the popular national first national motorcycle sport and bikes had beach bars was because there were no paved to, um, um, roads. Everybody, if you wanted even just to go down to the local town, to the shops, you were going to go down rutted cart, cart tracks. You needed to be able to ride off-road. Specifically, given the growth that's been taking place internationally in the enduro and the um, uh, dual sport um, adventure tourer market, um, as evidenced by the success of BMW in particular have um, been having, um, it's always struck me as a, I don't know, an irony that um, Harley didn't own that space from the word get-go. Um, how come? Uh, a firm like BMW were allowed to be able to enjoy success, such success in a market. Last time I was down in uh, near Munich where the factory is, I didn't notice an awful lot of Atacama Desert out there in Bavaria, whereas, of course, in America there are the wide open spaces. And um, I'm just um, delighted to see Harley now beginning to announce publicly that they're prepared to think um, not so much outside their existing box, but in new boxes moving forward. And um, for me, it's just, um, I just hope that it's not too little too late. Robin, I, I think overall the article um, about more roads in AMD is, is very positive and uh, very um, exciting. Uh, however, you, you pull some, some, you put some pretty strong language in the article that really caused me to think a lot about uh, this concept of legacy uh, and liability at this point with regard to the motor company. And I, if, if, you, if you don't mind, I'm just going to quote a little bit here from the article. Um, it says here that Harley has been dad's bike and grandpa's brand for an awfully long time now and certainly isn't a heritage paved with opportunity. Sadly, core market in that respect is simply not going to be sufficient in sustaining the future. So, you know, I, I'm really curious about this perspective that... Um, that you have that are that the legacy of the brand is now potentially a liability uh, and that you're applauding the fact that we're uh, potentially going to um, put some of our legacy on the back burner in order to 
go down new roads. And I'm curious more about that. Well, um, I'd like to um, reposition your thinking very slightly. As I, as I said, I don't want to see Harley abandon their existing um, uh, core competency and core customers. Um, in fact, I am writing something at the moment for an upcoming edition um, where I am exploring that precise issue. Um, they must carry forward what they've got and what they've had in the past, but they mustn't they cannot any longer afford, no manufacturer, no business can afford to exclude, therefore, the changes that um, uh, they need to embrace and the additional opportunities that um, um, are available to them. Um, in the case of um, the um, heritage of the brand, well, the sad, sad fact is that um, us boomers, well, you know, we're, strict, we're a strictly time-limited commodity. Um, I, the analogy I always think of when I first um, was fooling around with bikes back in the, uh, well, late 60s, early 70s, I remember everybody streaming out of the movie theaters after seeing Easy Rider, and the last thing that they were going to do is to go and engage with the man in the way that their dad was buying branded motorcycles and their granddads had been in the 20s and 30s. But we were all rushing around to the nearest salvage yard to pick up a bent and mangled up old feather bed frame and see if we could rescue some old lump, typically a, um, a, a two-cylinder Honda, to be able to um, get something on the road with, with the minimum of cost, the minimum of effort, the minimum of um, um, uh, difficulty. Fast forward 40, 50 years, and I see, I see it be kind of repeating the shape, smell, flavor, and taste of what's happening now are going to inevitably be different and be informed by the new generations of consumers' perspectives. But in principle, the fundamentals are still there. Um, we have generations now emerging who, um, for one reason or another, do not have either the budget to be able to go and um, slap um, 20K down on the counter of a store like yours to say, I'll take that there, soft tail, and don't bother to wrap it, my good man. Um, but they do still want to get onto two wheels, albeit their riding environment is not going to be the three-week aimless road trip across multiple states. The problem they've got to deal with is being able to get cross town through traffic in order to get to their day jobs. The environment is changing. That's not to say, though, despite my observations and the remarks about existing customers getting fewer in number, as evidenced by the sales staff, that's not to say that should be thrown away. The company, there's every reason why the great success it's had for 115 years um, with its existing brand and core competency can't take that forward into, people want to engage with the brand, it's just they can't currently afford or practically speaking use the kind of product that Milwaukee is offering. Very interesting, Robin. You also go on in the article to talk a little bit about the dealer network and some of the finessing, is the word that you used, that needs to occur in order for the dealer network to keep up with what uh, the, the More Roads initiative is, is suggesting. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about uh, how you feel the, de the, uh, the dealer network um, needs to, to, to be finessed. Yes, now that's really very interesting because there is way more to the More Roads um, document than simply... Um, the promise of new metal. The dealer network is absolutely essential. And again, I'm still at a stage where I'm trying to still figure out exactly what Harley is doing with the 
dealer network. They obviously are signing off on massive changes to the ownership footprint in terms of long-term local owners um, who have spent 30, 40 years building dealerships, maybe taking on their father's and in some cases even grandfather's dealerships. Um, shops that have got deep roots both in the brand and in local communities are now being consolidated into multiple ownership groups. And the again, as with the, the contrast between heritage and, and, and future-facing um, uh, bikes, I'm just worried that um, in racing too far down that um, future-facing route, Harley might also be throwing away so much brand and um, um, local market um, um, core, core thinking and, and legacy thinking and um, uh, corporate memory and understanding of what it is that got them to where they are to have the opportunities to move forward. I just hope that what we're reading between the lines in Paul Rhodes' document um, it is a little, bit, a little bit more subtle than the words themselves appear to suggest. I'd like to see Harley moving towards a new style of dealership that's downtown, provided they're going to give themselves the, motor, the right kind of motorcycles where to sell in those stores. But I don't see that as a, as a reason to throw away um, uh, what got them to where they are. I think that the um, uh, country, um, regional um, uh, dealerships, dealership network, um, it's where an awful lot of the new generation of customers will eventually want to um, end up. Um, they will migrate from inner cities to the suburbs and ultimately to, to um, um, other areas to live as their waistlines and wallet books pattern in just the same way as it did with the boomers. Um, they're going to then find themselves wondering, well, what happened? to the Harley store that used to be 10 miles down the road. Have I got to go back downtown again? That's not really the kind of bike it's all about anymore. So I think it's all a question of balance. So for Harley or anybody else to think that there's just one answer probably means they haven't really understood the question. There are multiple questions, and they require multiple answers. And the same that applies as much to dealer policy for me as it does to um, product policy. Well, I know that John and I have had several conversations here about the, um, how shall we say, the heretics. Where John and I are reading a book with our group here uh, called Tribes that talks about how businesses today that are really experiencing growth and success are abandoning status quo in favor of the heretics, the, the sort of outside-the-box thinkers, and actually putting their initiatives into play. And we certainly see that with Harley-Davidson. And we are very excited as a dealership to see this. I'm, I'm curious, though, if you feel like that the dealer network buys into this whole heretic approach now uh, at large. Is there still some convincing that has to happen at the dealership level to, to make sure that this plan, uh, when it hits the ground, uh, has traction? Well, the most important thing that anybody in a retail situation wants is to be able to have a product on the showroom floor that can sell. Sorry to be too... So, so blunt about it, but at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to make the payroll and keep the lights on without that being a fundamental truism. Heretic? I don't know if that's necessary. Yeah, sure. An awful lot 
kind of does go against the grain of where Harley have been traditionally. Um, and I do subscribe fully to the flaw um, being that Harley and um, a lot of the dealers, but above all driven by a very, very traditional and conservative consumer mindset, um, has, worked, uh, has worked them to keep them in that, in that place. And, and in fact, if, if anybody is guilty of anything, then Harley has been guilty of staying still for too long. Um, but I keep coming back to the question of balance. I don't think Harley should throw away what it's got, and I don't think that you as dealers should um, 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 swallow too much Kool-Aid that's, uh, of, the, of the flavor that suggests that what you're doing, currently doing is totally unviable in the future. <coughs> it's a question of balance. It's a question of finding the mix, um, because uh, I, I work a lot in the parts and accessories aftermarket. And I see an awful lot of very well-established um, um, custom parts and performance parts manufacturers suddenly worrying that they've got to now be kind of um, speaking the, a new shape of beard. <laughs> um, and um, I worry, conversely, that 20, 30 years' time, these consumers who are going to end up coming looking for businesses like theirs are going to look around at scorched earth and think, well, where do they go? And the same is possibly true. Harley needs more dealers. It doesn't need the same number of entirely different dealers. It needs both. It needs to grow the network. I don't know what the current head count is um, uh, in, in the continental US, but typically it's been around about 700 shops. Sure, make that an 1,100 network because you're going to open different kinds of stores in, in downtown um, lo uh, metropolitan locations who typically will be offering a different profile of, 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 of motorcycles for a different profile of customer. Um, but the, the new Softails are amazing motorcycles. Just because they're out of reach for most of the new generation of riders does not mean that anybody should throw away what those bikes stand for. Hmm. John, you like being referred to as a heretic, don't you? Well, <laughs> well Robin, you, 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 tell me more about this. I've never heard this phrase, speaking a new shape of beard. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure where, where I heard it for the first time. There was, um, as a, uh, been a um, as it has been in the States, a plethora of um, new generation um, custom bike shows open up, like the Mama Trides um, up in Milwaukee and, um, uh, and the One Show and, and, and the rest of it. Um, there have been similar ones over here um, uh, in Europe, and in particular, um, I, I, I live about two and a half miles northeast of London, and um, we have a show in London in the former East End, London Docklands on the River Thames, in what was once an industrial wasteland, but of course now has been gentrified. It's all loft living and loveliness, um, and um, you, you go down there and you see people strutting around with. Um, I mean, we've all we've all had beards. We always have beards. With the boomers, of course, actually combing the beard, keeping it clean, trimmed. Well, no, that was an anathema. That wasn't cool. But of course, now, well, my word, guys will sit in a chair for two hours and, and pay vast sums of money just to get every strand of the beard just, just, just so. It's the so-called hipster vibe, isn't it? I, I believe, actually, funnily enough, I mean, even amongst that fashion group, I think we're already past top beard, as it were. Um, but um, there is that um, difference. Um, in um, um, perception 
1970s? No, I don't think so. Going out without it now? Are you kidding? Well, Robin, so two, two things. I mean, one, all I can really smell in this, uh, in this booth is uh, Mark's uh, Old Spice. That's, that's that's all that's all I can smell right now. It's uh, you do have, you have my sympathy. It makes me gag. But I, hey, I like you know, soap on a rope. It's a thing. It's a thing for me. So where where do you think uh, is your estimation when you talk about hipsters and and I don't want to just keep on bringing up millennials, but where where when are they going to and what models are they going to be attracted to on this with this strategy? Where do you see that going? Well, I look at it more as being an um, age thing. Um, in the past, it has taken generations, some period of years, to get to the point when they can afford for their perspectives on what they want to ride, and indeed drive in terms of cars, buy in terms of houses, um, anything that they're consuming, uh, when they can afford for it to change. The, the, big, the big difference now is trying to figure out when that affordability threshold will be met. We're all led to understand that it's getting increasingly more difficult for millennials to be able to make the progress up the consumer ladder that um, uh, the older generations um, were able to do. It seemed to me in my generation, um, we were just being um, green flagged and, and, and welcomed um, up the um, progression of um, consumerism with, um, with open arms and with relatively few obstacles being put in our way. Indeed, our generation was one that enjoyed credit. I remember my grandfather saying, well, you know, what on earth is credit? Um, now, Kids are finding it much more difficult to get credit. They're getting it much more difficult to actually get their foothold into a well-paying career automatically as a result of graduating college in their early 20s. Um, things have changed. And, and what we will find out the hard way is quite how and where that affects that consumer point. It is down to money at the end of the day. Um, I do think that um, um, an awful lot of the new generations of riders, the millennials, will ultimately want to gravitate towards cruisers um, because being able to throw your leg over a bike like a soft tail or a road king and, and, and head off for a week or longer um, on a nice long trip, hey, what's not to like? Um, people are still, that's not going to go away. Um, people are still going to want to do that. So there is still going to be demand for those kind of bikes. Okay, they might be very different to the ones that we've enjoyed past they will inevitably be cleaner which by the way simply means they're better performing and more economical to own and operate where's the harm in that um, and they will have longer service intervals bad luck for the dealership but good luck for the consumer um, but um, equally I think there is one area of the motorcycle industry which really is interesting me at the moment and that's the middleweight marketplace and we're back to the more road strategy there I think Harley's definition of where that um, middleweight um, sweet spot is is a tad further up the power band than it really is. I'm seeing the um, 500 to 750cc market as being critical at the moment. An awful lot of entry level is based around either used, ma used machines or 
Robin, uh, we're quickly running out of time here. We know that you're a busy guy, and I, I just wanted to ask you one last question, and then we'll wrap it up. I'm curious about how do you assess uh, Harley-Davidson's manufacturing uh, responsiveness in the wake of uh, the More Road strategy being announced? It, it, can, can you comment on that, and do you feel like it's moving along at a, at a pace that will allow us to... Uh, to have these new models on our showroom floors in the very near future? Well, with, no dis- with all due respect, it is a tad glacial. Um, Matt Levitich, 
the CEO, um, very early in his um, tenure of that job, um, did speak about wanting and needing to make Milwaukee more responsive. Um, if memory serves, he actually was interviewed on one occasion and said, I want my people to be able to come to me and say, hey, there's an opportunity here for X thousand units of, 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 of this kind. Um, um, and we all, I want to be able to get them into showrooms inside six to nine months. Um, I, I don't want things to take two or three years. And yet here we are. The announcements that were made this year um, really needed to have been made for me three years ago. But we're still three years away from the Street Fighter or the Adventure Tourer, for example, um, actually um, being being in stores like yours. The worry is that this, in the meantime, they they will continue to be being eaten, on the one hand, by the atrophy of the existing market that they serve in, um, but also the evolution much quicker evolution that's taking place with the other manufacturers who want to share that action. So to answer your question, my fear, I just hope I'm wrong. I, I, I hope they are able to um, respond um, fast enough. Um, all the progress of the kind that I'm anticipating is slower so that Harley's timescale works. Well, Robin, I, I, I thank you very much for your candor on all of these. Uh, you certainly haven't sugarcoated uh, the situation, and uh, interesting for us to hear. Uh, we we want to say thank you for joining us today. And, uh, John, anything further you want to add? No, I'm just glad that Robin took the time to speak and gave you an opportunity to actually read their article. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you spent adequate time preparing, so I think it was a, a nice thing that Robin spoke as long as he did so that he gave you an opportunity to read the article <laughs> well <laughs> well and everybody else is uh, we are technically speaking a trade journal but um we we approach we approach it very much from an enthusiast's point of view so everybody's welcome to 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 read amd and you can find it at um, amdmag.com robin we we sincerely appreciate your time very much and would love to uh, follow back up with you at a at a later time when when uh, some of these new models hit floors my pleasure. At which point you can point out just how foolish I was being. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Robin. Have a great day. Thank, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.